title of the psalm that is given uh, is indicates that this psalm was written to the chief musician upon Giddeth, and uh, we don't know what Giddeth is. Uh, there's, there's a lot of these uh, words that are used uh, either for instruments or ex- explanation of how the psalm was to be uh, sung or chanted in some cases. Um, a lot of them are so ancient and old that even the Jewish historians have a difficult time knowing what these things refer to. Um, but um, there are two other psalms that are attributed uh, with this description of upon uh, Giddeth, um, and that would be the 81st psalm and the 84th psalm along with Psalm 8. So there's three of these in the psalms that refer to uh, these psalms being upon the Giddeth. And so one thing that we can tell, though, by all three of them, if you look at all three of them, they all uh, have a sense or a feeling of joyous expression. And so whatever it is that Giddeth meant, uh, it certainly, I think, lends itself to the idea of um, expressing joy as to the greatness of God, and uh, it's a celebratory uh, type of a psalm. And so we're going to begin reading verse number one. It's a very short psalm, only nine verses. And we'll take a few moments to uh, read down through this. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name, in all the earth. Um, a fellow by the name of Chalmers, uh, back in the mid early 1800s, uh, made this statement about this particular psalm. He said, There is much in the scenery of a nocturnal sky to lift the soul to pious contemplation. That moon and these stars, what are they? They are detached from the world and they lift us above it. We feel withdrawn from the earth and rise in lofty abstraction from this little theater of human passions and human anxieties. The mind abandons itself to reverie and is transfigured in the ecstasy of its thought to distant and unexplored regions. It sees nature in the simplicity of her greatest elements, and it sees the God of nature invested with the high attributes of wisdom and majesty. This was a man who was a known astronomer at the time, and he was speaking of the fact that the heavens draw our attention to thoughts of God, his, his majesty, his wisdom, his greatness. And it, isn't it interesting that scientists years ago uh, would look at nature and they would talk about how great God was because of nature. And yet now we're living in a day where it seems like our nature is uh, causing men to, to, to be drawn away from the Lord, to look away from the Lord. The psalmist wrote in another psalm, The heavens declare <clears throat> the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. And when we begin to look at the vastness of space, 
uh, the, the size and the magnitude of it. Uh, I, they, just recently we had a, a solar eclipse uh, here in the United States, and we weren't part of that this time around. But I remember a few years ago when it came through here, they sold these little glasses. You all remember those little uh, glasses you had to look at at the sun when you wanted to see the solar eclipse? And the reason for that is the sun was so bright and that even being hid by the moon, it could damage the eye if you were to look at it. And this is the magnitude, the might, and the power of our sun in our solar system. And yet astronomers will tell us that our sun is, is the very smallest of, of these types of suns. It's a very small sun. And when we begin to think of the massive magnitude of space, it's infinite um, spacious. And I mean, it goes on as far as we know for infinity. We don't, we've never seen the, the edge of space. Uh, we look at these stars and the massive power that's involved in them so much that they're so, as, as far away as the sun is from us, which is a great distance, we feel the heat from it in the summertime, and it cools us. It lights our whole day. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but at nighttime you go in <clears throat> your house and you turn a light on, and it may even be a bright light, and it'll light a small space, but it won't light your bedroom, and it won't light this room over here, and it won't light that room over there. And yet one source of light that God has given us, the sun, when it comes out in the morning in all of its glory, you can go into some of the, the areas, and if there's even a, a crease for the light to pierce, it'll give light to that whole area. And we begin to think of that. We begin to think of the might and the power that exists in things of the heavens, the vastness of its space. And then we begin to think that God created them simply by speaking them into existence. His might, His power, His majesty. It says in our scriptures that He measures the heavens with the span of His hand. And again, not trying to limit the size of the heavens, but trying to express how, how strong, how great, how magnificent God is. And the, the psalmist is proclaiming this. In the first and the last verses, he cannot fully express the glory of God. And so he results to the exclamation that we find so often in the Psalms to the little word O. There's, there's such an, an, an emotional response as he ponders and meditates on the magnificence of God, the greatness of God. <clears throat> in two different places, in the first verse and in the last verse, he gives admiration to the excellence not of God. I want you to notice this, not so much of God, but of God's name. And, and I, I find this interesting. As you look at verse number 1, he says, O Lord, our Lord. And, and I want you to note that they are spelled differently, or they should be in your King James Bible. One is all capitals. One is a capital L and lowercase O-R-D. And any time we find the all capital name of Lord in the Old Testament, it's referring to his name. It's referring to the proper name of God. And this is how the King James translators brought it and said and, and, and was indicating that he's speaking here of God himself, the name of God and the person of God. And then we find the capital L and the lowercase O-R-D. And this is a title. This is not a name, but a title. And it gives indication of his position. And so what the psalmist is saying here is he's expressing this excellence of God. He's referring to God. He's saying, God, not only are you my God, and, and, and he uses his name. He says, O Lord, our Lord, you are our Lord. You, are the, you have the position of Lord in our life. 
You are the one that reigns supreme in our hearts. And so he says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory. And I want you to notice this, if you will. What's the next word here? Above the heavens. I pondered that a little bit, and I was reading some other men and commentators, and one of them made this expression, and it caused me to sit for about an hour and just sit and dwell on this. That the glory of God, when we begin to think of the, the, the fact that His glory is infinitely so, the majesty, the magnitude of God, that the earth cannot contain it, And if we look at the heavens and understand the vastness of the heavens, that even the heavens themselves cannot contain God's glory. And so the psalmist said, even above the heavens, how excellent is thy name in all the earth who has set thy glory above the heavens. Heaven and earth cannot contain the glory of our God. The might, the majesty, the the magnitude of who He is. And can I, can I offer something to us today? And I know we've taught on this before. But it would do you and I well to regularly sit and ponder who God is. Because we do, even in our minds as Christians, we oftentimes have such a small, finite view of God. He's inexhaustible. He is above all. He is all. There's not anything... And made, the Bible says, that was made. Everything that is in existence is here because of God. He created it. Not only did He create it, but the Bible tells us that He holds it together. He, he, he's the one that keeps it all in balance. We wonder why uh, the oceans don't uh, overflow uh, the, the, the shorelines. Because God keeps them under control. We wonder why the earth doesn't sink into the oceans, because God holds it in control. Why, do, why does the, the, the elements of the earth and the, the, the weather of the earth, why doesn't it overwhelm mankind and kill them and, and destroy them? God holds it in balance. Why don't we get too close to the sun or too far from the sun? Because God holds it in balance. God is an amazing God when you think of who He is. And... So he expresses both in the first and the last verses. The first is the premise. This is his proposal that he is stating. But by the time he gets to the end of it, he has laid out a case in this psalm that he now is saying it as a foredrawn conclusion. Based on the things that he has expressed in this psalm, David comes out and says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth to conclude the psalm. And when it is the premise at the beginning, it is a known fact by the end. We get to verse number 2, and there's a sudden change. I love this. The sudden change is this. He says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Boy, there's a lot packed into this verse. But I want to, I want to first draw this. He begins with the might of God's glory. His glory cannot be contained in the earth. His his name is excellent in all the earth. It cannot be contained in the heavens. It's above the heavens. The magnificence of God. And then he starts by saying in verse number 2, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings has thou ordained strength. 
The whole creation is full of God's glory. It's interesting that as he gets to verse number 2, he makes this statement out of the mouth of babes and sucklings in contrast to the massiveness of God's glory in verse number 1. We go from the, this, this great glory, this infinite expanse, to a small image. And one of the fellows that I was reading, he made this statement. I wrote this quote down. He said, How often will little children tell us of a God whom we have forgotten? Well, that's a, that's a statement, isn't it? I think most all of us can think back to a time where we've been saying something, maybe pertaining to God, maybe our our worry or our anxiety, and a small child will say something so profound about God that will draw our hearts and our minds back to Him once again. He says, How often will children tell us of a God whom we have forgotten? How doth, how doth their simple prattle refute learned fools who deny the being of God? Many men have, made, <clears throat> have been made to hold their tongues while babes have borne witness to the glory of, God, of the God of heaven. It is singular how clearly the history of the church expounds this verse. Did not the children cry Hosanna in the temple when the proud Pharisees were silent and contemptuous? And did not the Savior quote these very words as a justification of their babe cries? In Fox's book of Martyr, there's a story of a man by the name of Mr. Lawrence... <clears throat> Mr. Lawrence was to be burned at the stake uh, for not recanting uh, biblical doctrine. And the Catholic Church at the time was in the, uh, the, the, the throes of killing people for not agreeing with the church's doctrine. And they had so brutalized Mr. Lawrence that when they took him to the fire, they had to carry him in a chair because he was unable to walk. And as he gets to the fire, uh, several young children came around him. And they cried out, Lord, strengthen thy servant and keep thy promise. And Mr. Lawrence went to the fire and the Lord aided him in his time of need. And the story tells us that he went into the arms of his Savior with peace and contentment, having been encouraged by the voices of these young children. Another man by the name of Mr. Wishart, a great Scottish martyr, one of the chaplains of the Catholic Church said, You have a devil in you. And a child stood by and cried out, A devil cannot speak such words as yonder man speaketh. Isn't it amazing that sometimes children have a more clear view of God than sometimes we as adults do? Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, He who delights in the songs of angels is pleased to honor himself in the eyes of his enemies by the praises of little children. What a contrast between the glory of the heavens and the mouth of babes Yet by both, 
the name of God is made excellent. Whether we are looking at the magnificence of heaven or a profound statement from a small child about God, all of it points to the excellency of the name of God. The heavens will declare the glory of God, but the truth of the matter is this, you and I ought also to be proclaiming the glory of a great God. God has chosen the frail things, the foolish things, if you will, of this world to confound the things which are mighty. Look with me at several things here. Let's go, first of all, to Matthew chapter number 6. We're going to be back here in Psalm 8, so hold your place. Matthew chapter number 6. Verse number 28, God is glorified through His creation. And He says in verse number 28, And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall He not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Isn't it amazing that all of life is absolutely dependent upon the sustenance of God Himself. Man cannot survive if God does not provide for him. It's amazing in the society that we live how many people deny God and hate God and, 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 and refuse to acknowledge the fact that He exists, and yet it's only by Him that they exist, that they are sustained. If God did not cause nature to produce food, where would we be? If God did not cause this world to produce water, where would we be? And from the greatest man to the smallest insect, all of creation is sustained by God. He's glorified in creation. He's glorified by His might in holding creation together. Turn with me just a few moments to Colossians chapter number 1 in the New Testament. Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 12. Colossians 1, verse number 12, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, and I want you to notice this, and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things, what? Consist. If God ever ceases to be God, you and I will be the first ones to know, because we'll cease to exist. We're here because of God's watch care over us, His provision for us. Hebrews chapter number 1, 
Verse number 1, God who at sundry times, Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his what? Power. When he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholds all things of creation. Second Peter chapter 3, verse number 7. Second Peter <clears throat> chapter 3. Right before the end of your Bible, Revelation, just go back a couple pages, Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 7. Peter writes this, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Our world will be destroyed one day, but not until God's ready for it. Why? Because He holds it. He holds it in His, in His hand. The might of our God. He has glory in creation. His glory in His might and His power. He has glory in His omnipresence. He's everywhere. You ever notice that? Throughout Scripture, the Bible speaks of the fact that God is everywhere at all times. Look with me in Proverbs, back uh, almost back to the Psalms again. Proverbs, chapter number uh, 15. Proverbs, chapter 15. Proverbs, chapter 15, and verse number 3. Solomon is the one who's writing this. This was David's son. And he says, The eyes of the Lord are in what? Every place. Beholding the evil and the good. Let's go back to Psalm for a minute, just back a few pages. Psalm 139, verse number 5, I think is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that deals with the fact that God is everywhere. God, uh, and I know people say, well, how can that be? How can He be everywhere at one time? Because of His, His, His magnitude, how big He is, how great of a God He is. There's no space that God is not in. Psalm 139 and verse number 5, the psalmist writes, Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. And that wasn't the verse I was thinking of that I was needing, but that is the one that is dealing with the fact, again, that he is before us and behind us. And so, again, his presence is all around. Isaiah is the one that I was wanting to get to, um, and that's Isaiah chapter 66. Just one or two pages over, one or two books over to the right of Proverbs and Psalms. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse number 1. Isaiah 66 and verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, 
and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? In other words, he's saying, I can't be contained. There is no house that I have to be in. It, it can't contain me. There's no house that could be built that I could put my presence in. And yet, isn't it interesting that in the New Testament, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in us, which we have of God, and we are not our own. God is great. He goes on to say in verse number 3, he says, When I consider uh, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I've spoken on this before, and I've alluded to the first part of this, and I, I perhaps have not gone as far with it as I should have. But I'm going to make a few statements here to start with. First of all, pride is one of the distinguishing characteristics of man. It is one of the things that we probably battle more than anything is our pride. And yet the psalmist makes two observations here, and I think both of them are important. Normally I mention only one of these in preaching, but it's important here to note that there are actually two different observations that David makes about, the, about man in his psalm that deals with this issue of pride that we have. First of all, he expresses the fact that the heavens cause us, when we consider them and we ponder them, it, it causes us to wonder. The heavens cause us to recognize that amid the immensity of creation, we appear as insignificant. One, one writer put it this way, we are a mere atom in the light of the heavens, or a grain of sand in light of the heavens. And oftentimes, I teach on this, and, and David speaks of this, when we do consider the heavens, and it causes us to reflect on how big God is, and we realize, and it causes us not to be too proud about things. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Lord, why do you even bother with us? But there's a second thing that David refers to here that I think is vitally important for us to know. And that is this. Understanding that in comparison to the cosmos, we are a small dot an insignificant atom, a grain of sand. It causes us to even be more in wonder and to, to be even more enthralled with God when we recognize this, that we are also the object of His paternal care and love and He gives us His mercy from the Most High. That's where the wonder comes in. That's where it's an amazing thought for you and I to rejoice in it. Because when we see how big God is and we see how insignificant we are, we become something in the eyes of God that causes Him to give us His love and His mercy. I've been talking with some people recently about this. We are somebody in God's eyes, but that's the whole wonder of it. That's what the, the psalmist was puzzled by it. That's what the psalmist was, that's why he got to the place where he said, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens. Because in this vastness of the universe, the vastness of space, the vastness of what the Bible refers to as the heavens, I'm just nothing but a mere atom or a mere piece of sand in your sight. And yet, 
You've chosen to love me. You've obligated yourself to be my father and to be, uh, have a parental role in my life. You've given me your love. You've given me your mercy. You've given me your grace. And the psalmist, all he can do is say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. Verse number 5, he says, For Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. When man was first made, uh, he certainly had honor. He was given dominion over this earth. When man sinned, we lost a lot of this honor and a lot of this glory. In fact, we lost all of it. And it is only because of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have the privilege of regaining the honor and the glory that God intended for us to have when He first created us. We can be made to appear before God just as if we had never sinned. And he says this in verse number 5. He says, For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor, and madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. And thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. <coughs> and the psalmist is expressing here a list of things. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a list of things. That when man fell, that we lost we lost that honor and glory above these things, the dominion that He had given us over these things. And that now that we get saved, when we get saved, we come back to this place of being glorified by God Himself. Folks, I don't know if you understand that or not, but that's an amazing thought. That the God whose glory cannot be contained in the heavens looks down and glorifies man and gives honor to man when he trusts Christ as a Savior again. You say, how do you know that? Well, look at verse number 2. He said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. Notice this, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. What is he speaking of here? He's speaking here of people who glorify the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ brings redemption to the, men, to the hearts of men again. <coughs> he deals with that as he gets down in verses two to four or three to four, when he says, "What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him?" He's referring here to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the idea that He came to redeem us and to bring us back to Him. And He said He did all of this to silence, to still the enemy and the avenger. Who is the enemy and the avenger that's spoken of here in verse 2? It would be Satan. All of these things bring glory to him. And really what we see here is, out of all the vastness of the heavens, David's wonderment that God was willing to bring redemption to man. And all he can say as he gets to the end of the, of the passage is, O Lord... Our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. What was proposed at the very beginning is now stated as a proven conclusion. One of the men that I was reading his thoughts on this psalm, 
made this statement. He said, oh, for grace to walk worthy of that excellent name that has been named upon us and which we are pledged to magnify. Oh, for the grace to walk worthy of that excellent name that has been named upon us and which we are pledged to magnify. We bear the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called Christians. I shared a message a few weeks ago, I believe it was on a Wednesday night. We're a child of the King. We ought to live like it. We have been granted the wonderful privilege to be part of the family of this great, magnificent God. To be able to come to Him, as many did this morning, and kneel before Him and say, Father, and the psalmist is amazed and in wonder, enthralled by this truth. When I consider thy heavens, and then I see myself as something so insignificant, what a wonder it is to me that you do love me. That you take a parental role in my life. That you've obligated yourself to give me love, to give glory and honor through me. Once again, when we consider that and the fact that we were the ones that sinned, we were the ones that left Him, I think all we can do is, as the psalmist did here, say, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. We cannot express Him enough. Words would fail. Time would fail to even begin to express the glory that is due to the Lord Jesus. I hear people say that sometimes. And we have times of testimony and times of praise that sometimes we take in the services. And I hear sometimes in services like that, people will say, well, we would fail for time to, to talk of His goodness and His greatness. And then testimony time begins and maybe two or three minutes into it, uh, the hands that first went up are slowly going down and we're not seeing as many people raise their hand for it anymore or wanting to speak out about it. I'm not saying we have to do all this publicly. But I think sometimes it's an indicator of how little we think of our God. Because should we begin at this very moment to speak and praise Him for who He is, if we truly understood it, time would fail us. And words would fail us. I've said so often before, when I read, uh, I think it was Tozer that wrote The Knowledge of the Holy, he said, whatever we think God to be, He is not. And I, the more I live and the more I ponder who God is, the more I understand what, what He was saying. Whatever we think God to be, whoever we think Him to be, He is not that. Because our minds cannot grasp the magnitude of Him. I want to leave you with this one thought, and I think probably the the best thought that we can leave here with with regards to this lesson this morning is this. Because of the world we live in, the circumstances that we live in, we're so encumbered, we're so burdened and weighted down 
that figuratively we walk through life with our eyes downcast. The burden is great. The road is weary. It would do us well from time to time to lift up our eyes and look to the heavens and ponder God. I like what the psalmist said when they were in captivity. He wrote a, or when the children of Israel were in captivity, he had, the psalm was written. The psalmist made this statement. He said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And perhaps, maybe, if nothing else comes from this lesson this morning, it would be maybe a challenge to us. Take time to lift up your eyes. Take time to look to the heavens. Find some time to get away from the helter-skelter of this world and look to the heavens and begin to ponder God. Meditate upon Him. Commune with Him.